I wanted to say thank you for, from my family and I, for allowing us to uh, serve and worship with you here. That's a great honor, and you have entrusted us with something dear. So um, I look forward to going uh, forward with you guys and uh, making New Life a church that everybody wants to come to and attend. And what we do is learn about the Word of God deeply. And as we prepare to do just that, let's bow for a moment of prayer. I'd be silent at first so that if you've got something on your heart, and then I'll close this out. Father, as we humbly bow in your presence in your house, Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit would be among us, that you yourself would be. You've promised that where two or three are gathered together in your name, that there you are in our midst. And what an honor that is, Father, to think that you would actually desire to be among us, your creation, which doesn't always do what you would like for it to do. And Father, as we you're ready to break your bread of life we pray father that your holy spirit will allow us to see the things that you intended for us to hear the message that you wanted for today from years past and father as we do may everything that we say do and participate in today be for none other reason than to glorify you and to present your son jesus christ to this community and to this world and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. A pillar in the temple of my God. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. And as I was working it out, I got to thinking, some people might get excited about that because they might think, oh, now he's going to start supplying pillars and we can sleep during the sermon and be comfortable. <laughs> Wrong pillar. <laughs> That's not the right kind of pillar we're going to talk about today. But I know, I see the disappointment out there. <laughs> and, uh, but anyway, the, um, the church at Heritage Trail and uh, in the prison ministry that I've been doing since January, we were the last few months in the book of Revelation before I started here. So last week while I was out, I went back to that for them because uh, they had been following what we had been doing. And I talked about Revelation chapter 3, starting at verse 7, with the church at Philadelphia. So if you brought your Bibles with you today, we're going to do the majority of our stuff right there. You won't have to turn around any. But we'll be in chapter 3, starting about verse 7. Now, the epistles that Paul wrote to the churches, Thessalonica, Corinthians, Ephesians, all of these places, these were actual places. Uh, actually, the church at Ephesus is in Revelation chapter 2, verse 1. It begins the seven churches of Revelation. And why that's important is because we place so much emphasis on teaching those epistles for, for the church and for knowledge that we forget that in the book of Revelation, chapters 2 and 3, is the epistles of Jesus Christ to his church. He addresses every church there as the one who is giving this address. So 
I would place a lot more importance on these if I were. They're all the same importance, but I mean, why do we not teach? I don't want to say that one's more important than the other, but it, I would think that if Jesus Christ wrote to the church, why don't we go there and look at it for a minute? This is how he wants us to be, and he gave these letters to them so that they would know what he desired. And out of the seven churches, five of them received a lot of flack. They hadn't been doing too well, but two of them, Smyrna and Philadelphia, those two churches had been doing what he wanted, and there's no condemnation to any of those. He only has praise. And uh, if you would, and if you're there, follow along with me as we talk about the church at Philadelphia for a moment. Starting in verse 7. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth and no man shuts, and shutteth and no man openeth. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door. No man can shut it, for thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say that they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet, and to know that I have loved thee. Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. Behold, I come quickly. Hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. To him that overcometh, will I make a pillar in the temple of my God. And he shall go out no more, and I will write upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God, and I will write upon him my new name. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. So there we go. It was wrote to them, but he says, he that hath an ear, and I've looked around, everybody has a couple of ears. I checked. You don't have to feel for them right now. Um, he that hath an ear, let him hear what it's to the church is. So it's to us as well, everyone that has an ear. There's so many wonderful, powerful things stated here. And I know when we start with Revelation, everybody thinks, oh, man, I can't understand that. Well, today's probably the only lesson for a while we'll have here, okay? But after teaching the first part of this last week, I got down to verse 12. And I really want to hit on what verse 12 means to them and to you as well, because it is a word of encouragement. It is something precious. It's a promise of our Lord to us. And that's what I want to go about with today. First of all, Jesus starts out and says, I know thy works. That's kind of a scary thought, isn't it? I know thy works. And what he's saying is, is I don't read press clippings. I don't check out Facebook and the website and the social media to see what all you say you're doing. 
I know thy works. And that's an attribute of God. That's one of the characteristics of who and what God is, is all-knowing. He knows everything that goes on, and whatever way we try to spin it doesn't help. But he has that kind of knowledge. And then he says, the one who is holy, the one who is true, is the one who is writing this section. Again, he is proclaiming himself, Jesus Christ, to be God. He is holy, he is true, and he has been given, it says, the keys of David. Wow, what's that mean? I can understand a little bit about holy and true, but the keys of David, what's that mean? Well, keys mean authority and control. You know, where I worked at, we had hundreds of buildings. We had an entire department that was called key control. And their job was to designate where keys went so that you opened the right door but couldn't get in the wrong door. Jesus, in Revelation 1, verse 18, says, I am the one that has the keys to death and hell. Keys is authority and control. He says, I can open the door and no one will shut it. No one. I can close the door and no one will open it. And he starts out with, I have the keys to eternity, death and hell. Here he says, I have the keys of David. So knowing all of this, what does the key of David mean? If you go back to Isaiah 22, 22, you don't have to turn there, but if you want to reference it or listen later. In Isaiah 22, 22, there's a man called Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah. And Eliakim, it was told right there that he is going to be given a kingdom. He's going to be given a robe and the authority for that. And the key of David would be upon his shoulder. So in other words, that, that lineage, that throne, that keys to the kingdom of God on earth at that time through Israel was upon his shoulders, the government of it. So now... When Jesus says, I have the keys of David, he's saying that my death, burial, and resurrection has allowed me the authority to control the spiritual kingdom. And I can open doors that no one can close and and close them that no one can open. And there's different kinds of doors in that kingdom. First of all, there is physical things. David was blessed by God in many ways. So he had a huge storehouse, and he began storing up all kinds of treasures for the temple that was going to be built. And there's places there that describe how much gold, how much silver, how much trees from Lebanon and things were coming in and being piled up for this. He had the keys to the storehouse. Apply that spiritually. How many times in the New Testament does it say that you have these blessings in Christ Jesus? He has the keys to the spiritual blessings that we have. So he has control of them. He gives them out. But another key that he says, which is being addressed here, I think, if you look at verse 8 and 9 in Revelation chapter 3, These keys also are for opportunities. 
opportunities for the church. And it says that I have presented before you an open door that no one will close. And that door is going to be so open, even those who are unbelievers, the synagogue of Satan, he calls it, the Jewish people, even those of the synagogue of Satan here in a little while are going to know that I have loved you and that they are going to come and worship there with you. That is my prayer for the church at New Life. My prayer is that God has an open door before us. That there is a door that he has just opened and no one's going to close. And all of those in our community, in our surrounding area, maybe even our entire county, will start to know and understand that God has loved us. And that he has placed an open door there. And hopefully soon this building will be completely full and we'll be having to have chairs stacked at the side. I would hope that we would do that going forward. That's David's keys and what he gave to him. Now, what I really want to get to, though, is verse 12. To he who overcomes. We're talking about rewards. We're talking about promises. Philadelphia was a great church. And so he wanted to give them some encouragement for what they're going to go through. So in the next slide... It says that we need to know who an overcomer is. If we're going to talk about rewards to he who overcomes, who is that overcomer? First John, same guy who's being the author of this through Christ, writes in his first epistle, chapter 5, verses 4 and 5, he says, For whatsoever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. So these promises are to us. To those who are believers in Christ Jesus, you are what is known here as an overcomer. Uh, the same word for overcomer is used there in verse 4 for victory. It's the Greek word nikao. Nikao has a base word, a root word, that's called Nike. It's where Air Jordans come from, you know. They, that company took that word that means victor, that means overcomer, and they placed it upon their company so that the athletes who represent them would be some of the greatest ones in history, and they would be known as the victors like Air Jordan, was so much for them. So this Nakao being a victor is for the victory of those who overcome this world by faith in Jesus Christ. And he says to those who do, that will follow in my steps, as he said there, that are true to my word, that don't deny my name, that has faith and patience in me, he says, I will make you an overcomer. I will make you victorious. And a reward that I want to give you is a pillar in the temple of my God. Wow. I mean, wow. And you might say, oh, he's going off the deep end a little bit. No, just wait a minute. We're going to see what this pillar in the temple of God means. 
Because you know what? For years, I read over this. I just kept reading. There's four promises here. There's the promise of the pillar, the promise of the name of God, the promise of the name of the city. You know what that means? How many people voted this last election? When they go there, did they ask you where you lived and to see which township you're from and where you're going to vote? That's your citizenship and registry. That means your citizenship is going to be in the new Jerusalem and you're not going back out once you get there. Whew, isn't that something? These are the promises to the overcomer. But what's this, what's this pillar in the temple? It's a marvelous reward. Uh, stick with me here. Let's start looking at the first mention of a pillar in the Bible. Genesis 19. There's a law that those that, that are scholars in the word call the law of first mention. And the law of first mention is where a main word is first mentioned that that usually represents something going all the way through the scriptures. Genesis 19 verse 26 is the first mention of pillar. And it's when Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed. And it says that they were towed as the angels grabbed a hold of Lot and his wife and his daughters and said, get out. And he said, don't look back. Don't have a love for this world. Keep going to where I'm telling you to go. She looked back. And it says that when his wife looked back that she became a pillar of salt. A monument. A monument to a life that was looking more at this world than at what you were told to do by the word of God. So that starts being a monument then and a testament going all the way through the scripture. The second one, I didn't think that it had a lot of great meaning like that. I just liked it because it says that Jacob got up early and he took the stones and made them, he had made them the night before for his pillar and he laid his head on it and slept. And then the next morning he knew that after the dream that God was in this place and so he used those pillars to make a pillar. So you guys might have been on the right track thinking that you ought to have a soft pillow to just sleep on in here because that's what uh, Jacob did. But anyway, that was what I, I wanted to cover with that one. But the law of first mention, a monument, a testimony. Now, let's go a little bit further. Let's go to uh, the New Testament where Paul uses the word in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 9 to talk about Peter, James, and John, and he said that they were men who were perceived to be pillars of the church, those who are steady, those who are, are, are rocks. Paul goes on to write Timothy. Timothy was left in Ephesus to teach the word. He starts out in chapter 1. There's some things going on. I'm leaving you here to teach. He gives some instruction, chapter 2, chapter 3. Towards the end of chapter 3, he says... I want to come to you soon, but if I can't, if I have to tarry long, I've given you these things so that thou mayest know how to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation, the ground of truth. So a pillar, then, is also the, the word of God. It's the pillar and ground of truth that the church stands upon. It's what it's based upon. 
It is a monument for us to look to for instruction and guidance. But the Bible must be interpreted also in, in the day in which it was written. So if I'm a first century Christian, if I'm sitting there in Philadelphia and an alarm goes off and people's running all around and they're saying, a letter from, a letter from John, a letter from John, it's been sent, we're going to read it. And everybody gathers himself together like we are here today and everybody wants to hear what John and the Lord has written to the church at Philadelphia and they all gather together when he reads this I want to know what they're seeing because what they saw in the first century as I'm going to give you a pillar in my temple may be a lot different from what you and I see what did they see as they started reading and he says my first promise to you is to be a pillar in the temple of my God and you say, that sounds like a crazy promise. How is that supposed to motivate me to endure persecution, to maybe even suffer death? How is that motivating me to do that? Well, let's take a look. Because the temples were not only to pagan gods and pagan religions, but they were also places of business. Banks were there. Transactions were made. It was a monument. Those temples had monuments there to the great people of their history and of today's time. So let's take a look at some of these temples and get an idea of what they would have saw in the first century. Here's the temple at Ephesus, the first church that he wrote to. And when we studied this back then in the, in the uh, Heritage Trail, we saw this and saw what all it meant. But here is the temple to the god-slash-goddess of Artemis and Diana. And you remember that um, Acts chapter 19, that there was a big ruckus going on because Demetrius the silversmith, you know, that made the, the idols and the shrines to this temple for people to have as personal worship. When Paul started preaching the gospel telling people that those gods are not real, that you need to serve the God of heaven, the sales fell off. Their business went bad. And so as the business went bad, they incited a riot against them, and they took them down to the big auditorium. But this was the temple that was known right there in that place. It was built in about um, 323 B.C., there was a man uh, named Creasus of Lydia. I don't know if you've heard of him, but he was one of the richest folks at that time. There used to be a saying that was called as rich as Creasus. But after he, during that battle for Ephesus, the temple was destroyed and he rebuilt it. He rebuilt the temple. And to, to say, you know, as a good ruler now over you, I want to extend friendship. And so he did that and he rebuilt the temple. It's about... 425 feet long, 225 feet wide, and it had 127 pillars inside of it. And each one of those pillars would represent something. It would represent a story to somebody or something. And so that's how they would start to begin to see this. If we look about what it looks like today, it's kind of in ruins still, but here... Over 2,000 years later, there are still 
these replicas, not replica, but the actual thing standing right there. You can go over to Turkey because these seven churches are in western Turkey today. And if you go there, you can see this temple that was mentioned in Acts chapter 19. Each one of the pillars was 60 feet tall. It would take probably two lifetimes to complete each pillar. So you had all of these craftsmen, 127 of them, working on their pillar. And say they died in 30 years, another craftsman took over, and it took 60 years to carve and assemble these pillars, which were monuments to their um, it's just awesome. Um, they were very ornate. They, they would put, like with Creasus, they would put a tablet embedded there with, with inscribed with the words of what he had did. They would embed jewels in there to show some of the riches that they had. And it was just great. Now, I want you to see a shot of a temple in India that is called the Temple of a thousand pillars isn't that pretty cool yeah the temple of a thousand pillars uh you can see how marvelous it is it's very decorative every one of the pillars are a little bit different telling the style but you ought to see it at night when it's lit up it's beautiful here's a shot of that going down to the wing towards one of the altars you can see how that some represent people. Some might have the horses of the battles that they went in. But each one of these was a monument. It was a testimony to something or something as it was lit up. Well, my lights went out too. Uh, uh, it, it tells them as they go through it what happened. And you, people would wander through that temple and just it would be like a history book. And that was their history book to go through and to see what all had happened up to this point in time. Now, in Egypt, we're all familiar with the story of Egypt in the Bible, and we all know about hieroglyphics. This is the temple that's called Luxor in Egypt. About 1400 B.C. it was finished. You know when that was? That was the time of Moses. Moses was right in that time period. This is 3,400 years ago that this monument to those people and to those things were still there today for us to go over and look at. But I hope that you're beginning to see the progression of how for thousands of years people have honored in those kingdoms over there the great people, the great servants, the great leaders, the great workers, the great people in battle that they honored them with a monument, but the monument was a pillar inside of the temple. You know, in Washington, D.C., we have the Washington Monument and the Jefferson and Lincoln, and we've, we've got ours, but in these times, they did it just like this. It was their temples that, that showed these things, and it's just amazing that this has been around this long. The next slide shows the likeness of several individuals. It's a smaller one, but you can see how that they would even put the entire person carved in to their pillar of renown that would be in that temple. And it's not just unique to over there in that civilization. Even over here in the Americas, when we came over, 
the American Indians did the same thing, didn't they? Totem poles, pillars of recognition and renown and history. And as, as their tribe would move forward in time, a new chief, a new victory won, a new thing. The medicine men had done something great and they put his totem up there. Whatever. But this is your monument. This is something of renown for you. So, as you look at these things, you see that this is how the first century Christians who lived in these times and in these real cities would begin to perceive these promises of God. So whenever they're sitting there as you are today and they began to hear that to him that overcomes, to him that believes in my son, Jesus Christ, that he died for your sins, and if you walk in my ways and don't deny my name, then I am going to make for you, yes, you, a pillar in the temple of my God, which is in heaven, the new Jerusalem, and it will never be destroyed, and you will never go out of it. It will always be there. Wow. Brothers and sisters, he's made that promise to us. And if you are here and you're, you're not in Christ, you might be wondering, how do I get in Christ to, to get these kind of rewards? Because this is one. Do you know that we have 12, 13, depending on how you want to count it, in the seven churches of Asia in chapter 2 and chapter 3, each one ends, each letter ends, to him that overcomes, I will give. And there's 12 or 13 different wonderful blessings there. Just like this is just one of the blessings that he has prepared. What's the scripture say? Your eye has not seen, your mind can't even fathom the things that God has prepared for you in the heavenly kingdom. If you haven't made that decision, and for those who may be listening online too sometime in whatever time period, this is the question that you need to ask because it's the only one that has eternal repercussions. You know, Acts chapter 4 and verse 12 says that there is no other name under heaven whereby we must be saved than Jesus Christ. If you would turn to Acts chapter 16 real quick. Acts chapter 16. It gives us there an example to follow for this. And in that time period, Paul and Silas has been placed into prison. The jailer was told to keep watch over him and don't let anything happen to him. He fell asleep. Midnight, the earth shook. There was a quake. He wakes up and he looks and the doors are open. And he's assuming that everybody has left. And that he is going to be killed for allowing that to happen. And he begins to think about taking his own life because of it and Paul and Silas cry out and they stop him with a loud voice down about verse 28 I believe it is and uh, he says do yourself no harm everybody's here and he shakily went in and he saw that everybody was there and he fell down at their feet trembling and he asked one of the greatest questions that it ever was he said sirs what must I do to be saved what must I do to be saved 
He said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. And not only you, but you need to think about your own household as well. And it says in verse 32 and verse 33 that that was the response. And what did the jailer do? He took them that very hour back to his house so that the family could hear. And he washed their stripes. And it says that he and his family were baptized that very hour. Oh, if you've not made that decision, there it is. There's our example for what we do. And if Rick and the guys want to come on up, we're about ready to close this thing down. But I hope that as you think about this going forward, that you, there's a lot of things that you can do for that pillar. You know, it's not just the people who you think, oh, I don't have a shot at that. No, you sweep floors, don't you, and help out. You bake cookies. You bring food for those in need, like on Tuesday, don't you? You say prayers for people that are in need, don't you? We had prayer requests. We've had food requests. We've had a lot of things. Every time the scriptures tell us that when you do these things, you are doing them unto Christ. If you give a glass of water in my name to the least of these, you've done it unto me. And I look forward to one day walking with all of you through the temple of God in heaven and we are looking at each other's pillars there as monuments to the life and to the service that this church has in this community. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. And a promise is only as good as the person who backs it. I've been promised lots of things in my life that didn't come through and some that did. But a promise is only as good as the one who is making it. Many times something comes in the way. But when you make a promise, I have a guarantee in the book of Hebrews that says it is impossible for God to lie. I can stand upon the promises and the word of truth that you have given us. And this day we have seen such a glorious promise of one of the things that you want to reward those who will be faithful to you and who will walk with you and who will not deny thy name. And the, one of the ways that you want to give them a marvelous, eternal memorial unto that, Father. Thank you for loving us that much, even though we are who we are. And if there's anyone here today that's struggling with things, let them also know that we're here to pray for them as well, and they can let us know that if they need the prayers, or if they have made that decision to come unto you as we sing and stand for this song of encouragement. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.